are recording and streaming with the one and only Dr. Peter Bragan with help from his wonderful wife, Miss Ginger Bragan, who uh, has the patience of a saint. Um, and we are discussing your book, and I have it right here so I don't butcher it, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, by Peter R. Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. Dr. McCullough has cited that so many times on this show, b- long before I ever even met you, that it had just kind of become part of my own lexicon, and it finally dawned on me, like, I, I need to read it. It's terrifying, and um, I've only given this compliment to probably less than five authors on this show, and it's, I've texted it to my family and friends. I will always push a book on the show out of courtesy and thanks for the author coming on. But it is the highest compliment I can give if I do it off air when no one's watching. And I text it to family and friends and say, go grab the book. That's the, so for whatever, whatever that, excuse me, whatever that's worth, that is the highest trophy that I, that I give to you for that. But so I don't keep babbling. Dr. Bregan, please introduce yourself for the people who may not know you. I'm Peter Bregan, B-R-E-G-G-I-N. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm 86 years old, and I have been doing reform work since my first year at Harvard College in 1954 when I got invited to go out to a state mental hospital. And I um, ended up running, organizing, running the program eventually in my second and third years, Got, wrote my first started my first book at the program that came out co-authored with other students a couple of years later started a program to show that college students individually working with patients in the awful conditions of a state hospital could not only help them but in most cases we could get them out of the hospital and that experience plus seeing that psychiatry was doing more harm than good to the patients, at least in the state mental hospital. Um, I got to see shock treatment, got to see insulin coma, where you bring a person to death's door, writhing on the floor and then in consciousness and seizing. And then you wake them up and instead of being normal humans who are upset and angry and maybe want to resist you or leave, they are completely helpless thanking thanking their torturers for waking them up and just grateful and docile and out of this i got just tremendous lessons about totalitarianism psychiatry how it all comes together but we still had a social psychiatry we still had a sort of a almost communist socialist psychiatry really we still had the psychoanalytic influence so 10 percent of psychiatrists were actually doing psychotherapy so now 10% of psychiatrists don't do anything except drug patients like the 90 rest of the percentage yeah. people. And um, I really was going to be a reformer and the youngest uh, president of the American Psychiatric Association in my mind. But uh, psychiatry um, left common sense and uh, good values behind and became totally biologic. So the awful stuff... I saw in the state mental hospital is now what's inflicted on everybody. The drugs, the indifference, the not caring. And um, so instead of being the youngest psychiatrist to be president of the APA, I was probably the youngest to ever have a target on his back because <laughs> they've been going after me <laughs> ever since and I, because I've been criticizing them. So they're earned enemies. 
It's good to have a few EEs, a few earned enemies. Yeah. Uh, indicates you're doing something, something good. Um, providing you are operating on high ideals and doing your best to make this, this difficult world a better place. Yes, we sir. did not expect Ginger and I to do COVID-19 ever and the global predators. But our background in taking on the drug companies, taking on the FDA, taking on the, I've been involved even um, as a medical expert and as a writer and researcher, taking on the um, Justice Department and uh, to some extent the CDC over the years. So um, we were really not only wise with age, but really, really way ahead of almost everybody else. <clears throat> I'd already written, written books that showed the relationship between the FDA and the drug companies. And I'd already been inside the drug companies as a medical expert. And it's just impossible to be too cynical about the watchdogs and the uh, people they're supposed to be watching over. The FDA, I realized, was uh, first, first I declared it to be a lapdog of the of the drug companies. And then I declared it a couple of years later to be the pit bull yeah. of yeah. the drug companies. So we had all that background. And so we were very quick to see the fraud of Anthony Fauci. And I didn't have too much trouble, you know, accepting the fact that the head of uh, the uh, NIAID, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, could have a, a life history of being a predator within the government that he that he was a clearly somebody who was very destructive during the AIDS epidemic withheld good treatments from AIDS patients does that sound familiar there were even there were even meeting not meetings but the huge demonstrations in front of his offices at NIH uh, which we don't have these days going back to the AIDS when especially as withholding treatments for the pneumonia that accompanied AIDS um same old thing, you know, let people die as long as we can work on getting them vaccines, big on vaccines, same pattern. And, uh, and of course, the same pattern again, because you never got a good vaccine. But those were different days, and you couldn't poison people as openly and outright as you can today. So none of his vaccines made it through. His vaccines today are probably, um, this is theoretical, probably at least as bad or worse than the ones that were turned down previously because you can't get much worse than what we have now. And um, we wrote COVID-19 and the, and the <clears throat> uh, global predators over a period that really got started in, really in March. We, uh, we did a, um, a report, um, a blog, now we call them columns again, we did a column and we did a video on our discovery that um, Fauci was actually funding research between the U.S. and China, making SARS-CoV viruses. Well, everybody was saying neither the U.S. or China could make a SARS-CoV virus. They were being made by in numbers we can't begin to know, but reporting on numerous lab experiments. Um continuing through 2016, then they started to sort of hide what they were doing more. Um, and that led to Donald Trump actually canceling the um, 
as we describe in the book, actually canceling the funding of the Wuhan Institute by Fauci. He didn't fund the um, you know gain of function research, the making of deadly viruses. And of course, now years, two, three years later, Fauci's denying he, <laughs> he ever he ever did any of that. I don't do any of that. We don't we don't do gain of function when the articles are describing gain of function. And so we ended up writing what a lot of people think of is the deepest dive ever, not only into COVID, but to our shock as we began to research into the global predators. Because we 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 I knew how bad the drug companies were, at least I thought I did. I knew how bad the FDA could be. I had the honor of meeting the director of psychopharmacology at the FDA and in front of a big group of people, his his saying, I know who you are, refusing to shake my hand. It was like getting a, like a medal. He knew who I was, (laughs) but he wasn't going to shake my hand. I wish I'd, uh, Reagan gets the ultimate medal from the FDA. That's incredible. (laughs) <laughs> I never thought, Tommy, I never thought of it that way. You always bring out something in me. Um, <laughs> people love our shows together. They oh, love the earlier they're, shows. They're, they're great. Uh, most of which is me. There's a reason mm-hmm. why I keep having you back. I, I don't have to have anyone on this. Show. It's mine. I don't have a boss. If I have you on here is the biggest compliment, aside yeah. from the texting your book. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I love talking to you. Yeah, it's very, it's a good thing. And the book, folks, it has it has three introductions. Mm-hmm. It's got an introduction by Peter McCullough, the greatest scientist of COVID-19 and a great hero. Um, it has an introduction by uh, my dear friend who's gone now, Zev Zelenko, um, that was ahead of the book itself in some ways, talking about the size of the evil. It kind of led the book. It's like, by the end of the book, I had to admit Zev was right. And it's got a wonderful introduction by Lee Valit, MD, who was one of the first people to blow the whistle on the suppression of treatment that was going on. And she is um, the uh, director of, uh, I don't know what her title is, but she owns and runs and is uh, this amazing organization, truthforhealth.org. <clears throat> And that was, you know, it was a it was a great aid for me being really new to vaccines. Um, but by God's hand, I'd actually written a vaccine article that came out in the second month, about February, March of 2020, because I'd begun to suspect that the vaccines were at least as badly managed as the site drugs. And I very quickly found out that they might have even been more evilly managed. And I had an article come out in the International Journal of Risk and Safety in Medicine on the measles vaccine and what was being hidden. Um, not so much autism, uh, but actually brain damage that people were calling autism. They were, very, they were doing brain damage and they just they just uh, hid from it, the drug companies, and stopped looking at it. Um, so that's our background into it. Um what astonished me as I looked further into it was uh, first the 10 years plus of planning. And it's hard to summarize something like that, but a couple of examples maybe are stunning. There were probably over a hundred companies making different vaccines, trying to get in on, on developing vaccines because Bill Gates had announced in 
2010 that this was the decade of vaccines. He was the richest man in the world then, uncontested, and had been so for several years. Mm -hmm. He's announcing it at the World Economic Forum, which is tight with all the big corporations in the world. And he's announcing it with the head of the um, great big trust. Um, Welcome Trust. Thank you. The Welcome Trust, and uh, which is, uh, again, big drug company-oriented, huge health health trust. And anybody looking at that would have said, oh, my God, this is the money of the future. So all the companies start in 2010 competing. What they don't know is they're competing against a man who's already begun to lay out his plans, already knows exactly in 2010 that it's going to be Pfizer and Moderna that are going to make him his billions. And um, ordinary financial uh, writers, uh, uh, I found saying, listen, you know, time to invest in Pfizer and Moderna, <laughs> folks. Now, how do you control things so thoroughly that you pick the what's going to happen in the next pandemic within a 10-year period, who to invest in, and then he started working with right right there very heavily with Fauci back in 2010, and then soon after with Rick Bright, who would be the controller in the government of dispensing billions of dollars to companies and, uh, and really kind of controlling what became uh, an emergency, uh, uh, accepted as an emergency measure, an EUA the uh, emergency use uh, authorizations. <clears throat> and Bill Gates appointed him to big positions in, in Gates' own uh, uh, vaccine trust, which is called CEPI, C-E-P-I, in addition to his other trusts, and um, set up uh, Fauci to push everything and then and set up... Uh, his uh, companion, um, Rick Bright, to be in a position to stop Trump from releasing all the hydroxychloroquine he had, I don't know, 60 million doses or something, which would have turned around everything. So, I mean, this massive planning, and we found the uh, one night I, I came upon actually the master plan in two steps. One night I just noodling and searching and thinking I came upon a PowerPoint, which is described in the book, and we even have mm -hmm. photos of some of the pages, a PowerPoint between CEPI, Gates's organization, and the World Health Organization, describing how closely they were working and listing the resources they had. And the resources were basically all the power in the world. I mean, uh, it, was, it was the World Bank <laughs> was there. Uh, it was a big bank and very supportive of who, by the way, the World World Bank comes out of, both of them come out of the UN. And the whole thing was planned. He even had statements that uh, the drug companies who got approved would get all of their costs repaid, direct and indirect costs, he, he said. And that's exactly what they arranged with the EUA and what Rick Bright, Rick Bright approved all the money that went then funneling in to uh, Moderna vaccines and Pfizer vaccines, even before they got the sort of fake rush through non-approval approval, approval 
you know, this um, weird, weird thing they set up, which is, which is essentially the, um, uh, yeah, the, the public private uh, partnership mm -hmm. that uh, of the WEF, the World Economic Forum, the, uh, and just the government funding the, uh, these uh, private interests and everybody getting more powerful, everybody making more money. So that's a brief summary of many of the things that are in the book. I mean, the book is huge. It's, I think, 24 hours on Audible. Is yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. When I first opened it, I did a, you know, a big one. On average, they're like seven and nine. To me, a big one is like 14. And I opened up and I was 24. I was like, uh oh, <laughs> I got to, I got to get cracking. Um, but it is, I mean, it writes, it would be so cool if it wasn't real. Like, it's it's such a compelling and intricate and evil and deceptive and fancy and high tech, you know, evil villain Tom Clancy James Bond, but it sucks because it's real. Yeah, but it's a great <laughs> book. But it's but it's real. And the I love that you go into it and you don't you don't just stop at COVID. You're not, you know, you're pulling on the string until you get back to the ball of yarn and then where the yarn comes from and then where's the factory and what, who owns it. And you go all the way up and you realize, like, COVID was just the method that they did. It was just like a tool. You have a hammer or a drill or a saw, whatever. They're all tools. But who's using it? What are they trying to do? You really paint the picture that this is just a mode of attack. Could have been anything. Could have been cyber. Could have been an asteroid of whatever. But it's for them to like you said like a virus they don't differentiate between borders or races they move fluidly and they are parasitic and they are moving towards a world domination a that a, that transcends countries that is a, a a corporate dictatorship hybrid from hell and furthermore you see what the chinese are doing which i just had on brigadier general robert spalding for the second time to his book uh, war without rules and his first book stealth war about China and unrestricted warfare. The Chinese are using this whole thing. The billionaires are the useful idiots. It's, it, it's a, I think it's the Stalin quote. You know, we'll hang the capitalists and they'll sell us the rope. They are using them to get them temporarily rich for a decade because China plans on 100 years or 1,000 years. And it is to set up a Chinese communist ruled, war, uh, ruled world that will make World War II Nazi Germany look like a cakewalk, and that's no trivial statement. But that's am I am I getting am I getting close or am I am I putting words in your mouth? I think it's very close. Um, you know, I describe it <clears throat> that the these um, people like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab are. Well, and you know the heads of the EU and the uh, Germany, Mer Merkel, and the Canada, and so on. These are really dopes. They are so naive from all the wealth they have that they think they're in power. They think they're untouchable, and therefore they can build up Chinese the Communist Party financially, economically, militarily. And use it to take down America, and then then they can have globalism because they've taken down America. They've already taken down the EU and Canada and mm -hmm. Australia, basically. And um, 
clearly they've stated openly after quotes in a book, America is the one obstacle to globalism. And by America, they don't mean Biden's America. No. I mean, it doesn't even hold anymore because Biden's America is a, uh, is actually enabling globalism. Everything that people think is stupid that Biden's doing enables globalism, uh, shutting down our oil yeah. <laughs> pipeline, opening our borders to a virtual invasion. Um it's uh, wasting all our money in the Ukraine and not on issues in America. That all doesn't, that, none of that goes, the very little anyway, the Ukrainian people goes into the global money changers, the banks, the, and a lot of it into the, the U.S. military industrial complex. It is not serving. That's a myth. Though. So one of the things about the book is that you'll actually be able to look at almost anything new that comes along. And instead of saying that was stupid or why they do something so evil, you'll get the pattern of intentionality that is dragging America down beneath the waves and, and taking the rest of the world along. Um, but what will happen? I have, you know, I'm not prescient and I'm, 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 uh, God hasn't told me what's going to happen. He's just told me to keep working. He didn't tell me what's going to happen. But there's no way that China isn't just going to snuff out Gates. I mean, he'll pick up Gates by one foot, you know, Xi Jinping, and say, you've you've been really helpful all along. We gave you all those awards. We were really nice to you. Yeah, and, um, and, uh, yeah that's right. That was all these little things... You're doing if this thing ever comes out in audio, he's swallowing yeah. like goldfish. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah he's going to say there. thank you and then toss him back like a like a giant. That's quite an image. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I think. I actually talk about some places as going to eat him like sardines out of a can. Yeah. So there's this enormous naivete on these life, you know, billionaires uh, who have so much power and influence and can call the FDA and make something happen. They can call the uh, who and make something happen. But uh, when the time comes and they call Xi Jinping, they're not going to make something happen. No. You know, it's not going to be like that because the Chinese, unlike the billionaires, the, their threat their threat is so much greater for several reasons. And may, I'm sure uh, General Spaulding's talked about this. I've got his books. Um, I had him on uh, on the show um, and um, on our show. Um. Uh, you know, there just isn't the power anywhere localized or the traditions that the Chinese have. The first major totalitarian empire, historians agree, was 2015 BC, that it reached its, uh, brought together all the kingdoms of China. So if you go to 2015 BC, and they say it is a totalitarian empire. Um, totalitarian empires are not new. Control could be exerted quite personally all those years ago, in part by doing the same things, you know, hanging in public people who dis disagreed, uh, warning people not to meet in groups of more than five or ten, uh, so shutting down all big events, uh, inviting people to report other people. And um, so they, they had a lot of things that they could do. In fact, like all empires, and this is key, they loved murdering their own people mm -hmm. to maintain control. And by the time that um, empire, QI, Q, Q, Quinn, the Quinn Empire, 
by the time it got established, half of the people in the kingdoms were dead. And, um, you know, how much is intentional, how much is, you know, starvation and other disruptions. But they knew what they were doing. They knew what, who they were sacrificing. Mao probably killed up to 100 million people. The estimate started 50, 70. Um, so this is what they do. They come from a tradition of empires. And yet we've been lied to, and our Department of State for decades uh, talked about how the Chinese just wanted to be left alone internally. They just didn't want our gunboats going up their rivers like we did the, a few hundred years ago to make them take op sell opium to the people. They got a lot to not like about us historically. Um, so the, the Chinese actually have this idea behind them of an empire that will rule the world, that will cover the earth from uh, the earth to the stars. Now, they couldn't accomplish that back before modern times. So the only thing that's changed is modern technology, not the ideology. The communists are also imperialists. They like to call us imperialists, and, and uh, we've had a great deal of unfortunate imperialism in America, which we must leave behind and really become again the America of patriotism and nationalism mm -hmm. and of strength and autonomy and being a shining light to the world and not trying to run the world in our own terms. But we've never been an empire like these other empires because we've been a somewhat democratic and somewhat free nation, the most free and most democratic in the history of the world, we couldn't, our leaders couldn't slaughter people. That's all that there is to it. They couldn't slaughter us. They couldn't slaughter too many people. You know, the atomic bomb, the use of the bomb was vastly scrutinized and people, uh, you know, had a lot to say about not continuing with that. Um, so, We've never been an empire these other like these other empires because we have in the past at least had serious Senate, a serious House of Representatives, a serious president. But presidents, except for um, Trump, had pretty much uh, one one person historian estimated that since since Lincoln, they've all been globalists. Lincoln was the last of the trying to be patriotic and trying to to stop globalism. <laughs> Um, uh, but there were very vast globalist issues surrounding the Civil War. Who was Britain, the mm -hmm. British Empire, going to go with, and so on? So, right back then, it was it was there. So it's nothing new, folks. Don't think that, say, my book or um, anyone else's book about globalism and global predatory behavior. We have gotten deeper and cut more, maybe directly to the chase about the whole organization. But it's always been there. Yeah. Uh, human elites have always tried to do as much as they can to exploit and control the people at their command. And the great empires by these vicious, violent elites go back to the dawn of civilization. It required civilization. That is, we had to give up wandering around and... Uh, hunting and gathering and keeping our distance from the next group or maybe having some intermarriage to keep things going without violence. There wasn't massive violence when we were hunter-gatherers. It's just uh, the, the only tiny evidence of, of a murder of a dozen or two dozen people 
Um, is it the very start of civilization 10,000 years ago? And it's so, it's like one little example. Um, but within a few thousand years, we have armies, we have generals, and we get civilization and uh, empires within 3,000, 4,000 in those in those periods of time, there are empires. Well, if you think of the Bible, well, there's many multiple empires during biblical times that are mentioned. You go back earlier. There's the um, the empire coming out of Assyria and the, uh, from the cradle of civilization. There's an empire very quickly within India, and then empires very quickly in China, or at least kingdoms that finally come together. Of course, then you go. By the time we Jews come into existence, we're we're you know we're under the uh, for hundreds of years we're under the Egyptian Empire. Yeah. So, folks, this is how it's always been. There have always been people who became elites during civilization and much of carved up much of the world, often in competition and war with each other. I think I counted six empires in 1776. I forget the exact number in some research I've been doing earlier. Um, and it's just been there. Now, the shape they take is what you see with the Western Empire um, and the Eastern Empire having different traditions and different backgrounds, but all the power, all the tradition, both communism and imperialism, I think favors China. And we've just got to, re we got to recapture America. You know, I, I named my uh, um, my TV show around that theme of uh, refounding America and reclaiming ourselves, refounding America. And thanks to your great show with me, uh, based on my book, um, the heart of being helpful. Uh, you know, I'm, I believe in reclaiming not not just ourselves politically, but personally, and and uh, becoming more more the rulers of our own lives the sovereigns of our own lives so that's what we need personal and national sovereignty and i'll take a deep breath <laughs> oh do you think what is different now is obviously technology and the yes. ability to the numbers and the geographic area that an individual can project their own power and it's coming online even faster with autonomous weapons. Is there a way out of this? I I have to stay optimistic. I have to pray. And ultimately, I, I, I think there's more to this reality than this world, so I'm not too hung up on it. But I, I'm struggling to see how we get out of it. And that's not being pessimistic. But if I have to, like, you know, if this is a test and I have to write down my answer, you know, I'm kind of giving a BS answer. The teacher's going to give me a C. I'm kind of scrapped. They're going to they're gonna write a note on the bottom that says, Tommy, I know you're capable of more than this. <laughs> you know, I'm like, God's going to win and something. I don't, the only thing I can think of is things get worse and worse and worse. And then someone is going to take over in this country. I don't know who it might be Donald Trump. It might be a military coup. I don't know. I think as things collapse further with just further infrastructure, complete sap, which is what it is, 
sabotage. There might be a window in which people are open to a complete reversal of wokeness, of globalism, when it comes to the front door and you realize there's no more food and there are no more police. That is when I think it will come to an end. But that also means that's right when the globalists are at the precipice of their coup. So there's a very, there's a hair-raising window in which the people will want it to stop when they're at the one-yard line. But by that logic, the enemy is also running with full momentum at the one-yard line. So it's it's a nail-biter, and which kind of... Which kind of makes me think this is all like God's plan. Like, doesn't it almost seem a little too much like a like a thriller? Doesn't it seem a little <clears throat> like of all times to be alive? We're at we're at this time when the good guys are about to, or the bad guys are about to win. I don't know. It kind of seems like a work. I'm not sure, but I guess my question to you is: is what way, if any, does this turn around? Well, that was so well done. I mean, I could relax and just invite you to say, so, do you have more to say about that? Because that's very well done, Donnie. <laughs> I, I've, I mean, I've, I'm sitting here thinking, gee, that's, that's really well done. Well, well, I was just talking to a guy yesterday, Clay Martin, former Green Beret. And uh, we were getting kind of very depressed about the state of things. And... Uh, started talking about, like, if you look at the courses for special forces. Now, obviously, I was never in the military, but something like Navy SEALs go through BUDS, Delta Force has Delta Selection. I think the Green Braves have Q course. And it's all about, you know, minimal sleep, exposure to the elements, not enough food, not enough water, harassment, psychological terror. They're, they're trying to They're trying to mold you in the fires, right? And a lot of people wash out. But the ones that survive are just the apex killers, right? The guys that go get Bin Laden in the middle of the night. It kind of feels like that's what Earth is. And if you are one of those guys going through that course, you don't finish the course and then say, you don't, you know, you don't go to the leaders of the Navy SEALs and go, you guys are doing that course all wrong. We didn't have enough food. We didn't have enough water. We were sleeping in the mud. We didn't have pillows. They look at you and go, yeah, that that's the point. It's, the point is, is it's difficult. We set up, yeah, we could give you enough food, water, but that's just suburbia. That's not, that's not Delta Force selection, which is fine if you want to just live in suburbia. But if you want to be on the tip of the spear, Jason Bourne, James Bond, then you have to do that. You can't do one or the other. You know, if you, if you want to look like a marshmallow, you should eat marshmallows. And if you want to look like iron, you have to lift iron. It's just that you become with, you become what you work with. In that same sense, do we die and go to heaven and say like, God, why, why, why didn't you step in? Why didn't you? And you might be looking at you going, that it was supposed to be a challenge. It was supposed fix it. it. Then why would I? Why would we create heaven on earth? We have heaven. That's what you're here for. You chose to go into this course, and subjectively, and I know this is very kind of spiritual way out there now, but that might be what it is. We might be here to learn something. And that, I know this, and this is glossing over all of the suffering, child sex trafficking, rape, murder, genocide, Holocaust. 
I get that that's glossing over all of this, and it's very easy for me to say in a nice apartment wearing slippers. Like, I get that. But it kind of feels like we're he- we're here to l- learn something. And maybe the lesson is, is we do have to make this place happen. I, I don't know. That might be the lesson, too. But just like you never would have taken on COVID-19... I mean, I I put that flag up behind me originally because I liked how Joe Rogan had a flag when I started the podcast. Little did I know I would, you know, I I knew what the First Amendment was. Yeah, it's good, you know, whatever. Versus, like, actually getting banned from YouTube, being ostracized by most of the people I know and love, and, like, pushing this podcast because I know it's the right thing to do and talk about these topics. You don't actually start becoming who you're supposed to be until there is a massive challenge. And then you work through that. I did, mm-hmm. I did OCD exposure uh, behavioral therapy in 2017. I, clinical OCD, it was terrible. And I just remember my my doctor saying, she's like, "This is not gonna be fun." You know, she's like, "Therapy, normal therapy, like I did therapy after I lost my brother. That is a healing process in every session, although some some painful. You're getting better and better." She was like, "This isn't that. This is that in reverse. It's gonna get more and more painful." You know, I want you to not organize your backpack. I want you to let your counter be messy. And it sucked, but as you move through it, it's better. And you slowly, all these things that used to chain you down, I have to have my wallet in this one spot. I have to have my pencils here. I have to, you can still be organized, but it doesn't ruin your day if there's a sock on the floor. You're like, that's fine. It's whatever. You woke up an hour later. All right, whatever. It's fine. There can be dust on the counter. It's not the end of the world. But you have to move through that fire first, which makes me think that, is that what this is? Like, why else would you have written a 24-hour audiobook diving into all of this? What would have led you to do that? Just on a whim? Hey, honey, I'm bored. Like, no, it's... You see this monster taking over the world of these transhumanists. They hate nationalism. They hate everything that is beautiful about humanity. They want to control and conquer. And it's just like this black hand with blood dripping off of it. And you're like, yeah, we probably we probably need to slay the dragon. We probably got to kill that thing. We probably got to, you know, you know, send me, oh, Lord. You're probably like, all right, we got to we gotta do this thing. So you asked me to it, expand on that. That's my expansion. Well, I, I think it's wonderful. I'm glad I asked. Um, <clears throat> I don't have any differences from you, really. Um, one way I think about it, um, well, first of all, that black and bloody hand, writing the book, I had uh, a constant sense of writing against somebody's wishes. Hmm. Like there was a mass of force that did not want that book written. And I began to realize, well, there were many people better positioned than I to write that book. I mean, I was really good on the science, the real scientist, 70 published papers that deal with science, um, and uh, 22 books, most of all of which deal with science, not all of it. Um, you know, testifying in court 100 times, almost always on scientific issues and around psychiatry and violence and murder, stuff like that. 
So, all right, that was good, but I didn't know anything. I didn't have the starting language on the vaccines. I didn't have the starting language on banking. There's some about banking in the book, but there should be more and there will be um, later. Um, but I mean, I didn't know, I had to constantly be reviewing history. I think I've got 50 new books in my, that I used and read, read and then innumerable scientific articles and stuff. And in that process, um, I had the sense of maybe why people didn't do this. There's an opposition. There's a goddamn spiritual opposition. <laughs> yeah. And may it be goddamn. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. I don't believe this. Nobody is, Fauci's funding the Chinese making pathogenic weapons and that the, the gives them biological weapons and uh, and the, this this paper we find that ginger found brings to me to look at uh could have been found by any any slightly hard-working journalist there had to have been hundreds of scientists that knew about it hundreds maybe thousands of people knew about the working with the wuhan because they're at the Wuhan Institute, they're at the, they're at the FDA, there was an FDA person on the paper, there was a Harvard person on the paper. I mean, it had to be known all around the world what was going on. And we're, you know, we're going to be the first ones to publish the paper for the people to see? I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. But then I would get it because I would feel... To... But this is so hard. I mean, it... it... You know, if I'd tuned in on this guy, Peter Bregan, three years ago, I would have said, who the hell is he? Did he really go to Harvard? Did he really write scientific papers? Um, he really gets accepted in court a hundred times and so on. Um, but I think you're on the right target. Now, what do we need to do about it? Well, first, I mean... You talked about that your teacher would have given you a failing grade if you'd said, and it's going to be all right. Well, that would have been quite an amazing teacher because nowadays the only way you'll get a, a grade is by ending up we have to be more woke and collectivistic and put other people ahead of ourselves and blah, 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 blah. And uh, above all things, let us just be open to diversity. When diversity destroys countries, I mean, it just destroys them. What makes countries great? Is a growing unanimity of who they are and mm -hmm. what they believe and so on. And so it's all destructive, folks, but not by chance and not out of stupidity. It's a plan. Um, but I, I, I think back to a lot to the founding fathers and their wives and children and fathers, mothers and children who were found in the country. And um, there, many of these people were intellectuals. That is, they were educated there were there were an awful lot of ministers among them and uh, and um, there were some doctors and there were um a bunch of lawyers and and uh, the plantation holders a lot of slaveholders we could talk about that sometime but a lot of slaveholders and who was compromising drastically on the people who might have been anti-slavery slavery just figured they couldn't beat the british without the south so they it was just, you know, there were some serious moral issues. But they they actually were brave enough, all of them, to get together and put down their differences, vast ones around slavery, put down their differences, 
and uh, say, well, we're we going to win this war and we're going to sign our death warrants to guarantee we do it. Basically what they did, they went up, there was no cheering, no joy. They solemnly signed their names on a document which when it reached Great Britain would be the primary document of who do we want to hang first. Mm -hmm. And um, people like John Adams are very aware of that. I mean, here he is going back and forth between the US and France. And he knows that if a frigate uh, overtakes them, a British warship, and they're going to hang him right there. Yeah. Because that's the order from the king. You get to hang John Adams. Um, we need that kind of strength. We need the strength to really decide as a group. We need to find a group and give it strength. And... Um, we're meeting all the opposition now as possible to our group. Uh, we've got to overcome it. We've got to stand up for freedom. We've got to support our heroes. And the model really is the, the revolution because what, it, what the revolution was inspired by was first and foremost uh, Christianity. Being Jewish, I love the fact that so many of the founders, uh, you know, thought of it as the Judeo-Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. They, I think, the 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 great three of um, of Adams and um, uh, Franklin and Jefferson wanted to put the Exodus on the emblem of the coin of the United States, but they got somehow voted down. You know, that's how much they were into the Old Testament, not yeah. just the new one. And we've got to get back to that. We've got to have a, a revival of that Judeo-Christian spirit and belief. That's the only way we'll get the strength. And we've got to get back to our basic values. Of the, and they wrote it down for us very clearly. Declaration of Independence. Constitution. Nope, wouldn't pass that without a Bill of Rights. Not, not, a, not of rights of humanity to eat well and... Uh, the rights of humanity to be, uh, um, you know, happy. I mean, like the UN would say, you know, everybody has the right, right now. You have the right to pursue it. You're being given the right by God to pursue the good things in life, including freedom and your ideals. And I feel like we've got to get back to that. Um, I first really realized how bad the country had become uh, about eight or nine years back, I can't remember now, and um, I published a book, I self-published it, which meant that Ginger became a publisher, literally, and that was the first of the th of our 20-some-odd books, there's only three that we published, and they're the ones that publishers basically didn't want to handle. Mm -hmm. And my that first self-published book was Wow, I'm an American, How to, How to Live Like Our Heroic Founders. And my agent, a friend since boyhood, ridiculed the idea, said he didn't get up. And he lived in New York City. He's part of the New York City uh, pseudo-intellectual community. <clears throat> you know, completely left uh, any idea of God way behind. Um, and he said, I don't get up in the morning saying, wow, I'm proud to be an American. I get up feeling ashamed of being an American. And he just put it right out there. And I realized, my God, th this is what, what it's coming to. And I talked to him about it. I said, Richard, 
these ideas. He said, well, that's what everyone around me thinks. And um, he was not going to stand up to that. And um, uh, we have to we have to organize ourselves around our own principles, our own ideals, our own businesses. We got to build up, rebuild America, and be prepared for what follows. And above all else, we have to win the next election for, in the presidency, the House, and the Senate. We must win it. And if that means, um, you know, having a million people out there watching all of what's going on and a million people standing in Washington waiting to hear what's going on, and if that means our soldiers are going to have to say we want free elections, people are just going to have to stand up. They're going to have to say no more of this. I think that's where it's going. I Talking to someone like General Spalding, I mean... It is like my great achievement that I can get every guest to smile and laugh. <laughs> I've had him on twice, both times for 30 minutes, and I think I got him to smile in the final 20 seconds of both shows. <laughs> and I look at a guy like that, and he's just one general. I don't see those guys going quiet into that good night. Like, and whether I like it or don't like it doesn't matter. You know, whether or not I want Delta Force to come into this apartment, if they choose, they're coming. They're coming. Well, what if we call the cops? They'll take them out. What if we call the military? They'll take them. They're doing what they're going to do. I don't, I think that's what it will be, is you're going to have generals who are going to final sleep. The, the seconds are coming down on the clock, and they're not stupid. These guys are all planners. They're going to realize, like, th this thing's over. This thing's occupied. It's been stolen. How do you want history to remember you? And what you have to remember is that uh, it doesn't matter what the repercussions are because what's coming is death anyway. And I don't mean that in the philosophical sense of we all die. I mean the totalitarian, technocratic, panopticon hellscape that is coming is death. And if you put up any resistance to it, it's death. I'm, we have, I have certainly signed my death warrant with this podcast, mm -hmm. and that's fine because I know what I stand for. Doesn't mean I'm not scared, <laughs> but I know what I stand for. Mm -hmm. That's what I think it's going to be, and I don't wish that. There's no, I'm not, I'm not ex-military who's going to be fine. I'll be slaughtered. <laughs> I'm good with God, man. I'm, I'll am i be out in the opening shots. I'll be done. It'll be me in my slippers face down in the streets. That's whatever. I'm cool. But it, it's going to end like that. The midterms where there was a lot of uh, irregularities. The infrastructure is intentionally being sabotaged. They're draining the treasury through Ukraine. They're marching us towards World War III. There is no border. There is no sovereign airspace. The dollar has lost most of its value. Censorship is completely run amok. I think just yesterday the Supreme Court said we're not going to remove Section 230. It's, I mean, the plane is heading into the, into the mountain. And at a certain point, someone's going to stand up and say, oh, yeah, I'm rushing the cockpit and I'm turning it around. Well, they're going to kill you. 
we're going into a mountain anyway. And I don't wish that. I wish it was all hunky-dory. I just don't see... I don't see those generals and the guys I interview stepping aside. And I wish it didn't have to be that, but I think that's what it's going to be. And it... It sucks. It's going to be a very... It's going to get very, very bad. But I, I I think that's where we're heading. And I hope we don't. I'm going to keep doing this podcast and keep doing interviews and try to, you know, find a more peaceful, cordial way out. But I don't want to live in the dictatorship that's coming anyway. So, like, I'm I'm cool. Like, they're going to come take me out. Like, that's yeah, fine. Do me a favor. <laughs> like, I don't want to... I don't want to live in your shitty dictatorship anyway. Do me a favor, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably what I think next, I think 2024 is. Uh, I think that will be a, uh, I think that will be a year that will be talked about like 1776 or 1865, 1945 or 2001. And that's not a good thing. I hope it doesn't. Legally, I have to say that I, <laughs> I'm i not rooting for it, and I'm not inciting it. I do a podcast. I literally am wearing slippers. I am not a threat. But that's where I think it's going. Well, <clears throat> I don't know where it's going. Um, but I think it's very, very important to do what you're doing right now, and for me to do it too, which is that, folks, it is that grim um, but the more you get involved with standing up for the alternative, for the America as we believe in it, and for human freedom, um, the more empowered you will feel, the more valuable you will feel, the more one with yourself and humanity you will feel. Um, so that you won't necessarily be happier because that depends on what happens, who's happy, you know, being tortured or killed. Um, But you will actually live the fully meaningful life that you have been missing. Mm -hmm. And COVID-19 for us has been, um, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're being sued for $25 million. You know, you can find all that on the website. Um, that's, you know, for old folks, that's about as scary as it can get because uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. you, you really don't want to die in poverty, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also um, convinced us that what we're doing is right. Or why would we be targeted like that? Why would we be the first out of, in a whole group of the freedom fighters to be targeted that way in, in the health area. I don't know the freedom fighters elsewhere particularly. Um, although I do know some of the, we have some of the generals on and we relate to them too, of course. But um, I'm a physician, basically. Um, so I think what you're saying is um, incredibly important, but to also think about what a meaningful life is. Mm. What really gives us a sense of a meaningful life? I was talking with a group uh, in Israel uh, yesterday, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yesterday. And um, 
Zev Zelenko's brother Frank was there, and he participates in this uh, on a regular basis. And I go once a month to be on the air with them. And he was talking about Zev, and what Zev basically said is, um, "It's not out of fear that I'm do. Um, it's it's." <laughs> I'm not doing what I'm doing by overcoming fear because I'm more afraid of God than anybody on earth. So I'm so afraid of God, <laughs> Zev apparently told his brother. Um, I'm so afraid of God that um, that I'm not afraid of dying and uh, all these other things. And of course he died. He, he was not killed, folks. There's yeah. nothing like that going on. I knew him very well. He's dear like a brother. He... He had a very bad cancer and he had COVID. He got COVID without already missing a lung from cancer. He survived that. He, he just forced his life on the world and just kept it going longer. He said he, he had actually been pronounced more or less dead about six or seven times, which I can believe. So what I learned again from Zev and got reinforced from Zev was, was you live the life you believe in living and be responsible to yourself and God and to the people nearest and dearest to you um, and weigh and balance all of that. But in the long run, live the way you believe a man or woman should live. When And we'll wrap it up with this because I know i got to let you run. When I, in fall 2009, September through December, when I was at Valdosta State University in deep South Georgia and I pledged in a fraternity and uh, that like a real, like a real fraternity, like every Greek hazing thing to your imagination's delight. And I remember one time it was the like 50th time we had to all be at the frat house at like 4 a.m. on a Tuesday to clean or something like, you know, you, you went to bed at 2 a.m. because you were, you were a designated driver for some drunk fraternity brother. <laughs> and I remember, you know, like I and I knew that's what it was supposed to be. I was going through the motions. And, but I remember I had a biology test coming up and I had a C in the class already. And it's my first semester of college and my dad was paying for it. And I finally remember, like, I showed up there and I realized, like, I was like, I have this test at noon. I've got to study. And, you know, they come out and, you know, whoever, the guy who edited up, he's like, all right, y'all, like, we're about to do a like, 12 hour cleaning. And I, like, got my backpack and said, I have to go study for this test or I'm going to get an F in this class. And my dad's going to take me out of college. And he looked at me and he was like, do you understand like the hell these brothers are going to bring down on you? And I looked him dead in the eye and said, I understand that. You have no idea what my father will do to me. And I, <laughs> and I walked and I walked away. They let me, no repercussions. Got an A in the class, got initiated as brother. I understood there was a much bigger threat. <laughs> so... The globalists are scary. They have the military, the banks, the media, the pharmaceuticals. Yeah, um, uh, there's a much bigger... Uh, I don't want to look God in the eye and be like, yes, yeah, sorry, I capitulated and rolled over. This life's temporary. It might seem like a long time. It ain't nothing to eternity. And uh, I think there's a much... They may be frat brothers. I'm not, I'm not going to try to you know take it to my dad. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I think that's how Zelenka looked at it, too. It's like, hey, man, it's not out of fear. It's out of a different fear. Y'all can't touch that. You have nuclear bombs? Cool. 
yeah, no, I'm not burning in eternal damnation for eternity. So, uh, yeah, no, much bigger fear, which is actually a much bigger love. But with that, I'm so glad you said that because that's where <laughs> we want to end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a much bigger love. I don't really feel so much of, afraid of God. It was very interesting. Yeah. No, no. I want to end with correct. that. I feel like God loves us. And I think I just couldn't convince him of why I had to quit because I was 84 years old and I couldn't take on an entire new field of medicine. Oh my God, politics, economics. I just couldn't do it all. And I just didn't think it was going to be a good enough ex excuse. Um, and and that played a role there. Um, in fact, the book took so long to write that I made a decision I don't know any other author has ever done. And then shared it with Ginger because we get to veto each other and she thought it was a wonderful thing to do um, because I was, I was, I was talking to God very briefly. He wasn't saying anything back and, um, and saying, uh, you know, you know, he was saying to me, why didn't you tell everybody about the book? Why'd you wait 18 months to write the book or whatever it was? And I thought, well, what else can I do? And I thought, I know what I'll do. If you buy the book now, we'll send you the manuscript to where it is right now. And so I just kept, we kept, we sent out like 20, 30,000 manuscripts awesome. that are floating around in addition to the 120,000 books. Um, That's so, you know, I really do take seriously trying to figure out what dad or God or your own highest ideals tell you to do. And I think that is a very, I, I use the fear quote just to, kind of get out Zelenko's Well, song. I brought it up. I yeah, brought yeah. up the fear, the yeah. fear issue. And I it's, want to end with it. It's, it's, it's a more comfortable feeling than that. And Zev was very comfortable sure. with God. It and, very comfortable. And deep down, sure, the fear of my father is more than the fear of the frat brothers. But even bigger than the fear of my father is, is I don't want to disappoint him. And that's mm -hmm. love. And that's that's what I mean. It's not a fearful God. It's, yeah. it's, like, it's like having to... Look your grandmother in the eyes as you take money. It's out a of new test. It's a yeah. new testament, God. Yes, I say as a yes. Jew, it's a new. Yes, testament. yes, it's yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's having to look your grandmother in the eyes and tell her that you stole from her. I'm like, that's not fear. I'm like, that would break my. No, I'm not doing it. And so that's kind of, it's love. Yeah, Tommy, you are amazing to talk to. I, my shows with you. <laughs> I love them really good it's, it's free it's all actually a charade charade and a facade it's not actually a podcast i'm just getting free therapy out of talking to these doctors so i don't have to pay for therapy it's all it's all a con i'm just getting free therapy sessions see you later buddy <laughs> yes yes sir dr bregan thank you so much sir miss bregan thank you so much for your patience guys in the description is the book please go grab it to the bregans i love you both thank you so much for your time and uh love god everybody we're we're going to get out of this. Thank you so much. Recording Take stopped. Care. Peace.